and worshiping him. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Turn to your neighbor, and if you feel up to it, say, Welcome to church. If you don't feel like it, you better do it anyway, otherwise they'll think you don't like them. Amen. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be in the pulpit today. Pastor's on a much-deserved vacation, taking the weekend off. It's a, a joy and a privilege of mine to be up here. Uh, I will tell you, I feel like I have somewhat of a, of a heavy message for you this morning. I don't want you to immediately turn, turn me off when I say that. Um, I feel like it's a word for the church. It's a, a timely word for this body, for the church as a whole. Um, and I've entitled this message this morning, Rise and Shine. Rise and Shine. This message is a call to action. It's a call to action. It's a call to move. How many of you know it's time for the body of Christ to mobilize like never before? Uh, the time has come. It's not a convenient time. It never is. It's never convenient uh, to, to be in a hostile world like where we are today. But, but we have to, church. We are the church. We are, we are the, um, the vehicle, I guess you would say, that God chooses to operate through and by to impact the world. And we have to engage the world. We have to. We don't have a choice. Uh, I'll tell you, if we don't, if this local body doesn't, God will find somebody that will. He just will. And I would rather the Lord use the, the church as a whole, but, but for sure, use us. Somebody say amen. amen. Use us. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 59. You can remain seated. We're going to be reading a lot of verses of Scripture. I don't want to keep you a long time today, and I mean that. I promise that I'm not here to try and just, you know, uh, talk. I want to I want to convey what I feel like the Lord's given me to say to you and um, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing. So again, Psalm 59. I'm going to read all 17 verses, but I'm going to be quick. Um, so just hang with me when you're there. Say amen. amen. All right. This is what it says. It says, deliver me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who practice sin and save me from men of bloodshed. Lord, look, they set an ambush for me. Powerful men attacked me, but not because of any sin or rebellion of mine. For no fault of mine, they run and take up a position. Awake to help me and take notice. Lord God of hosts, you are the God of Israel. Rise up to punish all the nations and do not show grace to any wicked traitors. They return at evening snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. Look, they spew from their mouths sharp words from their lips. For who, they say, will hear? But you laugh at them, Lord. You ridicule all the nations. I will keep watch for you, my strength, because God is my stronghold. My faithful God will come to meet me. God will let me look down on my adversary. Somebody say amen. amen. Do not kill them. Otherwise, my people will forget. By your power, make them homeless wanderers and bring them down, Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. Let other curses and lies, they utter curses and lies. Consume them in rage. Consume them until they are gone. Then people will know throughout the earth that God rules over Jacob. And they will return at evening snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. They scavenge for food. They growl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength and, and will rejoice. 
and will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning, for you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises, because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. Brother Marvin, would you pray over this morning's word, please? Amen. I want to just give you a warning up front. I'm going to be making some pretty strong statements throughout this message. But how many of you are on board with me? Okay. So just know my heart when I'm coming to you today. This is from a pure heart, pure motivation. But I, I think we just got to address some issues going on. And I hope by now, surely by now, church, you realize that we live in a time and culture that is completely hostile to Christ completely hostile to the church, completely hostile to the cross. Any pretense that the enemy had, it's gone. The mask is off. The enemy no longer even attempts to hide his wicked agenda. We see this being played out in the form of the woke mob that has, in essence, taken control of this nation. We see radical political agendas in the form of socialism and communism, Marxism, and yes, even corrupt capitalism. We see education reforms in schools, in departments, with teachers and administrators and even students. Uh, things are being coming down the pike in all of these different arenas that are affecting the upcoming generations all under the guise of what people would call uh, equality, the Equality Act. We even see right now that uh, Missouri University, we even have some students from, from, from our church that attend uh, uh, College of the Ozarks. It's also known as Hard Work U. We see that they have recently filed a suit against the current administration because a directive came down uh, through, through one of the uh, federal agencies, one of the federal departments that basically said that it was going to force any school, whether they were religious school or not, didn't matter. If they received any form in any capacity of federal funding at all, they were going to have to allow transgender students into whatever college dorm that they wanted to go into. Didn't matter if it was a religious school. And we see a, we see a Missouri college that is now a religious school that has had to file, uh, file suit in order to keep from allowing this sort of... Can you imagine? I'm, just, I'm not throwing stones at anyone, but can you imagine having your daughter in a college dorm and some guy walks in there claiming, come on, church. I mean, this is where we are. This is the insanity of the day. And people say, oh, you're talking about politics. No, I'm not talking about politics, but understand this. Politics does impact policy. And policy does impact your family. It does impact your family. So you better get on board and you better wake up and all these excuses of no longer, well, that's politics. You know, listen, you better become a part. 
You better be active. You better, you better get involved. You better start praying like never before. We see in homes, marriages falling apart. We see kids going crazy. We see divorce and sexual immorality at a level like never before. They're so common anymore, so common anymore, that no one is even shocked. When we hear, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic, I'm just being honest. When we hear of Hollywood actors and actresses and elites getting married, some of the first things that comes out of people's mouths are, and some, some of the stuff you see on the news is, well, I wonder how long that's going to last. No one even expects it to last anymore. No one, it's, it's almost like a joke. You hear people say, well, why did they even get married? What's the point? Why bother? Because we live in a culture where this has become so ingrained and so acceptable and so predictable that if we're not careful, we jump on board with that kind of thinking and not even realizing that we're doing it. Nothing shocks us anymore. Nothing shocks us. Even in the church house, nothing shocks us anymore. Nothing grieves us anymore like it should. You say, oh, Josh, you're being very pessimistic. I'm not intending to be pessimistic. I'm just being real. Can we be real this morning? So you say, well, Josh, what's the answer? Well, while the Holy Spirit is grieved and wants people to get on board with him, I think what's happened in the church world is that we're so overwhelmed that all we can think to do is to circle the wagons and to pray and pray specifically that the rapture happens. That's basically where the church has gotten. Lord, get us out of here before it gets any worse. And let me just tell you right up front, it's a message for a different day. I've been doing a lot of study on it, but I believe that the rapture of the church is fixing to happen. And, and Lord willing, I will preach a message on that. You could, you could preach for, for days on that stuff. But I'm telling you, God in his wisdom, he is orchestrating the chess pieces right now. And like I said, I'm making some strong statements today. And, and I want you to hear me that the church has made plans in the past. The church has come up with its own agenda. We've come up with our own protocols and, and, and these sorts of things to combat evil forces. But it has at this point, and I want you to hear me, at this point, lost. We have lost the culture war. That's heavy. And you say, I ask the question, are we the church really grieved yet? Are we really grieved? The church hasn't to this point risen to its proper place. And how do I know that? Well, I know that God in his grace and his mercy and in his wisdom will come down and give us time after time after time and opportunity and after opportunity and opportunity to, to repent and act and do things and pray and engage. And by that, I mean the Lord begins to show us light. He begins to show us the way. But it is our human nature that we really don't change until we start to feel the heat. It's one thing to see the light, but it's another thing when the heat starts coming. And I think people are finally starting to feel the heat. They're feeling the heat in their souls. They're feeling the heat in their spirit. They're finally starting to feel the heat in their pocketbook. They're, start, they're finally starting to feel the heat in their homes and see how it's impacting their students at school and how it's impacting our culture. Believe it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, God will allow the heat 
to be turned up in my life and your life to wake us up and move us into action. He will allow it. He would rather not. It's not his intended purpose. It's not his plan. It's not his perfect will. But humans being humans, we are what we are. He will allow the heat to come on in order to move us. You see, the church, I feel, and I could be wrong, but I'm talking broad spectrum now. I feel like the church as a whole no longer really even has a plan on how to combat the stuff that's going on in the world. We don't even know what to do. We act like we do. We act like we're going to stand up and pray about it and take it to the Lord, but do we really? The church has lost its power. God is the only one, friend, who can turn the tide. No plan, no agenda, no protocol, no policy, no good intention is going to change the direction of the world. It's going to take a direct intervention from God Almighty. Now, God will, and he has in the past, he, he can come down and do a sovereign work in spite of us, but God most often does not move without us. He wants his people to engage. He wants his church to be the hand, the mode by which he operates for change in the world. And until the church gets a burden, gets out of its comfort zone, has to work a little bit, be inconvenienced. Things are not going to change. In fact, they will continue to get worse. This Psalm 59 was written at a time when David's anointing had weakened. It was written during the account of 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 8 through 12. This is what most scholars will say. This was when Saul was after King David and he had, and this passage, you could read it for yourself. He was trying to kill David. He had invited David into the palace and he had actually taken a spear and threw it at David and missed David. And it talks about how the spear stuck into the wall. But David had escaped the town with his wife's help. And again, you can read the story. David fled from the presence of Paul. He went into hiding and and as I was studying this out, it, it made sense to me that people used to be in awe. At this point in David's life, people used to just be in awe of David. They used to just be in awe of the power of God that was resting on David's life. David was in awe of God's power on his own life. David's presence when he would walk into a place would be revered. In fact, people used to sing songs about the victories of King David. David's influence at this point had weakened to the point that he was really no longer considered to be uh, important or even effective. And I begin to wonder, is that how the world considers the church? You see, the church in the United States and around the world we used to be revered. We used to have a place of prominence. We used to have a voice. We used to have power. We used to have influence. But now we are like David in the sense that we're running for our lives. And the world mocks us and ridicules us and 
pushes us aside and treats us like some silly, vain thing. It's almost dangerous to even be a Christian anymore, even in the United States. We have hostile work environments. You can't have a Christian worldview without being shamed and ridiculed. And you might even get sued just for exercising your own Christian rights, your own, the constitutional rights that you have as a, as a citizen of the United States. People are coming after you to shut you up and shut you down with this cancel culture. What used to be honored as the glory of God in Scripture is now called bigotry. Now a hate crime. If you carry any kind of biblical moral or ethic or value or precept or whatever you want to call it and you actually live by it, well then you're a hate mongerer. I would say in my lifetime and definitely within my parents' lifetime, Things have degenerated to such a point in this country that people would pull down anything with Christ or Christian worship or the church if they could. If we just said, hey, we're going to give you 24 hours to come in here and just rip down anything to do with the church or Christ. We're going to give you 24 hours to do all the damage you can. I guarantee you they would get a lot done. But we're called to be salt and light. Everything that is based on Scripture. Even the, in my lifetime, the definition of marriage has changed in this nation. And as a result, the definition as a consequence of a family has changed. Anything godly is to be wiped out and it's usually done with a smile on their face. We see it in innocent upbeat commercials by woke companies to avoid being canceled by a godless agenda. You can't watch a commercial about anything without certain segments and lifestyles just being blasted right in front of your face and oh, it's just so normal and fun. Through entertainment, and I can go on and on and on. You all know what I'm talking about. Somebody say amen. amen. But it's all done to deceive and trick and confuse. Non-binary this. You all even know what I'm talking about when I use that lingo? People as identify, I'm, I'm non-binary. What in the world are you talking about? Trans this, non-binary this. I mean, this is where we are. And this is the junk that's being forced down our throats. This, this country had a founding principle that everyone could worship God based on his or her conscience. But today's universities, today's culture, today's media ridicules you if you even worship God at all. If you haven't realized it, we have crossed a tipping point. We're not almost there. We're there. We're past. I want to ask you a question. Is the next generation worth praying over? Are they really? Are they worth battling over? Your kids. My kids. Even the attack that's being leveled against the economy of this nation with the nonsense that's going on. 
You can look this up. I heard just the other day on a report by, by Mark Levin that he said in the last 18 months, our federal government has spent $16.5 trillion. They have either spent it or committed to spending it over the last 18 months, $16.5 trillion. Friends, if that kind of stuff continues, you might as well take all the dollar bills out of your wallet and burn them up because they're worth nothing. This stuff's being done intentionally. David at this point was in a desperate place. He was hiding, much like the church today. We think if we'll just hide and avoid the, avoid the world, then maybe they'll just leave us alone. Can I tell you, they won't. The world will only endure you as long as it has to. We see this played out in other countries through over the world where it endured the church until it finally got enough power to where it cast the church aside. These agendas are part of the enemy and the enemy is out to still kill and destroy you. Where we want to compromise, he will never compromise. You see, David was at a place of weakness. So much so that David turned to God in prayer. And God found David. God, David found out that God had already answered his prayer that he prayed in Psalm 59, the psalm that we read a while ago. David had prayed this prayer at the beginning of a season of compromise in his life. A compromise in the sense that he ran when he should have stayed. But God still answered his prayer. He should have been fighting instead of compromising. There are some people here who might be thinking, well, well, God, all of this is all this, so much of this is going on in the world. I just want him to leave me alone. There's just so much stuff. I can't keep up with it. I can't keep track of it. There's just Lord, just if they'll just leave, that's compromise, friend. Are you hearing me? That's compromise. The enemy is not out to compromise with you and give you your own segment, your owner. He wants to kill you. If somebody was to come in and kick down the, your front door and try and take up residence and go after your family, are you going to compromise with them? Some people say, well, Josh, I just, you know, I'm not one of those super spiritual Christians. Well, you need to be. You better become one. Well, I just don't flow in the Spirit. Well, you better jump right in with both feet. Weak, anemic Christianity is not for this day, friend. You say, well, I just don't have much to offer. David, in this passage of Scripture, he didn't have much to offer except just to flee. But I want to tell you something. God is with you today. God never left you. He will never leave you. It's everything that the church is able to do and, and accomplish will always be by the grace of God and nothing else. Listen, he doesn't really need you for anything. He don't need you. But he wants to move and operate with you. He wants you to engage in his agenda instead of compromising with the enemy's agenda so that we can be the salt and the light of the world that we need to be to bring about the kind of reform and the kind of revival that God wants to send on the earth. Yeah. 
We don't have anything to offer God. We don't really have any plans that we're guaranteed to work. We don't really have any power. God isn't, doesn't care about your degrees and your credentials and all this kind of stuff. But God does have all of the plans and the power and all of the things to bring it about. He's just looking for an open heart and a willing vessel that will engage in the spiritual and put the enemy to flight. He needs people that will say and declare, God, raise me up. God, put power in my hands. God, put truth and light in my mouth so that when I step into a, a school or a job or there's a circumstance, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can put the enemy to flight. Give me the mind of Christ. But here's a big one. God, give me courage. Give me courage in this day. All for your glory, God. Now listen, what he says in verse 11. This is a prayer of David. It's kind of interesting right here. He says, God, do not kill them. Otherwise, my people will forget. By your power, make them homeless wanderers and bring them down. David's prayer in this verse seems to offer an element of mercy. Where he says, don't kill them. He says, basically, God, teach them a lesson but please do not kill him. But it was for a good reason because he knew that if God had wiped out his enemies that David's own people might forget the lesson that, he, that they were to learn. How easily we forget, church. How easily we forget the lessons that God wants to teach us. Instead, he prays a prayer like this. God, scatter them. Make them wanderers. But yet God, leave them as an example. Leave them as an example for us to learn by. I don't know about you. I, listen, I know it sounds like I'm on a soapbox today, but can you give me just a minute? I don't know about you, but I'm so sick and tired of Hollywood. I'm sick and tired of the political elites that just seem to be so much smarter than you are, seem to be so much smarter than I am. They got all the answers. If we would just cave in, if we would just give all power and control, they'll take care of us from womb to the tomb. Everything will be fine. They've got all the answers. It's just these redneck hillbillies from the Bible Belt that keep everything stored. That's us, by the way. I'm one of you. Come on. I'll be honest with you. I'm tired of the Christian celebrities. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the woke mob. I'm tired of the D.C. deep state political correctness, the media. What I'm really tired in all of these things is their pride and their lies. That's what they all have in common. They have no concept of the truth of the word of God. And I pray that God, as we the church, come out of hiding and stand up that you would scatter them abroad. Just every plan, everything, every orchestrated agenda, God, that it would just absolutely blow apart right in front of their face. David was praying about the people that came to take his life. And I'm praying about the people who have come to destroy the church. That's the prayer that David was praying. Oh God, these people that are coming to take me out, God, scatter them. And I'm praying the people that are coming after the church, oh God, scatter them. So, scatter them, God, so that they can't plan. So that they can't scheme. So they can't war against us. Because they are coming after the influence and the voice of the church. That's what they're after. 
He goes on to say in verse 14 and 15, he says, They will not prosper against the anointed, and they will be defeated. If the church will rise, they will be defeated. Somebody say amen. amen. We are not here to fight against people, but we are here to fight against the enemy behind the agenda that the enemy has tried to implement. In fact, we are here to fight for the souls of people. People have been blinded by the God of the age, and our struggle today as the church is the same that it has been since the very beginning. It's for the souls of people and against the lies and the deceit and the tricks of the devil. Nothing has changed. I pray that everyone who is motivated by the enemy in these days would have their heart and their mind opened to the truth of the gospel and that they would leave their dark plans behind. How many of you are on board with me on that? God can and does save to the uttermost. I'm ready to see and hear more radical testimonies of God's saving power. David went on to say, he said that he would sing of his strength and will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. You see, weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. He goes on to say in verse 14, he says, let the evil snarl like dogs. Let them walk around in pride. But David declares this, that he would sing about God's power, mercy, strength, and love. What will you do, church? I told you this was strong today. What will you do? Will you go into hiding? Or will you sing? We need to keep praying, church, like never before. We need to keep singing like never before. We need to keep praising like never before. We need to keep witnessing. We need to keep enduring. We need to keep worshiping. We need to keep coming to church. I'm going to pause and let that one sink in for just a minute. We need to keep glorifying God until the victory is won. You see, I believe that we have an incredible opportunity ahead of us if we'll pray. That's the condition. If we will do these things, if we'll do these things, we are only beginning to endure in this country what believers have been enduring in other countries for years and years. We never thought it would come to the shores of the United States. Oh, we would get up and we would, we would make big claims and all this kind of stuff, but I think in our heart of hearts, down deep, we kind of thought, well, it's never really going to happen here. No, it's here. It's already here. Because we didn't take it seriously. I think of the results and things that they're seeing. I've, I've talked on it before in Iran, in China all over Africa, revival is breaking out. People are being saved by the thousands, the untold thousands and thousands. And we say, well, why isn't it happening here? Well, for one thing, they know how to endure. The Amer Let me just say this. I'm part of it, so I'm going to say it. The American church, we're soft. We're soft. And now we're finally into a position, we're seeing some things come at us where we're having to rise up and be the warrior church. Be warriors. God's calling us to put on the helmet of salvation. 
He's calling us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He's calling us to take up the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace that we walk in. We got to fight this thing. The sword of the Spirit. Is this hitting home today? It needs to hit home today. It needs to hit home for your marriages, for your families, for your children. The people of those nations I just mentioned to you, they're faithful in prayer. They have stood strong and God is answering their prayers. And even in the middle of persecution, I'm talking about legitimate persecution. Not somebody made fun of me at work. Not somebody, oh, you brought your Bible to school and now you need to go see a counselor because they made fun of you. Come on. I'm talking about legitimate persecution. They've risen up and they've met the circumstances with resolve and determination. I ask you the question, can we do the same? Can the American church do the same? I know things are bad. But we can ask God for mercy and He is able to move and act beyond anything that we can ask or think. How many of you know this is where we are? we got to start asking God for, repeat, for people to return to righteousness and holy living. I'm going to say that again. It's time for the church to return to a state of righteousness and holy living. You have been called. You have been set apart. I heard it said one time and it blew me away. They said the reason that the world doesn't respect the church is because the church is too much like the world. In other words, what they're saying is there's nothing peculiar about you. Even though that's what scripture says. We are to be a peculiar people, a holy nation. And the world looks at the church and they say, no, there's really nothing peculiar about you at all. We are to be strange. We're to be odd. We're to be different. We are to be powerful. We are to be overcomers. We are to live victoriously. Come on, church. And some of you say, well, Josh, you know what? I've been living like the world too much. You know, there was a stage in my life where I lived like the world too. But you know what? Get over it. When the enemy comes in and he starts throwing around accusations, see there, you're a fake. See there, you drop the ball. See there, you can't live it. You know what? Just, just know that that's a lie and a trick from hell. So what? You made a mistake. Repent. Get over it. Move on. Do not live in condemnation. I'm not saying that the church shouldn't deal with sin. I'm not saying that we, we turn a blind eye to stuff and we just shrug it off. Yes, we're to be holy. Yes, we're to live righteous lives. But I don't live in condemnation. That's part of the deception that the enemy plays in your mind. And that's part of the reason the church will not stand up and be the moral authority that it's called to be. Oh, the church is going to go through a strange phase 
where it starts moving out of the world and becoming that holy nation set apart. There's going to be some awkwardness there as we navigate all of that. But boy, 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 once we get to that point where we are separate, powerful things will happen. We're just afraid what it's going to look like in the meantime. We're afraid of the confusion. Well, I'm going to have to get rid of some friends and make some new friends. So be it. I'm going to be lonely. So was Jesus. Well, I don't know how to make any friends. Read a book or something. Figure it out. Come on. Well, nobody at that church is nice to me. Well, are you nice? Are you approachable? Somebody say, well, Josh, you're not very nice right now. Well, now hang with me. Listen, there's a lot of work ahead of us. But we got to start asking God. We got to start asking God for heartbroken people. You know how many people in the world are heartbroken? Life did not turn out like they thought it would. They went into it all excited and full of gusto and vigor and plans, and then the enemy stepped in and wrecked their plans, and they're hurt. And they're confused. And they live day to day. And they come to the church and sometimes the church is what it needs to be. Sometimes it's not. They turn to the world and sometimes the, the world is what they think it's going to be. Sometimes it's not. And they just live in this state of confusion. We got to pray. We got to ask God for the single mom struggling to get by. We got to pray and ask God for the depressed teenager. <laughs> I was standing in a gas station yesterday. And I heard two people talking about a teenager that had just taken his life and they were so, they weren't, they weren't mean, they weren't crass, but they were just so, oh, did you hear so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. Well, how much for my bag of chips, you know? It was just so nonchalant. It was just, God. It's just so common. We got to ask God for those that have been financially wiped out. That don't know how to budget. We got to ask him for those that don't know how to work. Teach them how to work. We got to pray for the strung out fathers that are overwhelmed and trying to provide and We got to pray for the drug addict that's hurting and turned for, to some kind of substance just to get some relief for a little while. Just to get some relief for a little while. We got to pray for the alcoholic 
You say, but oh, Josh, that's a lot of work. Yes, it's a lot of work, but it's the same kind of work that the church has been called to since the very beginning. You say, but oh, Josh, I can't do any of this. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. God always chooses the weak, the poor, and the marginalized to do great things. Because he gets all the glory. That's why he does it. He's not, he, he's not looking for the, you know, the big name and the, the deep pocket individual. And he's not looking for the celebrity Christian to bring this off. He's looking for me. He's looking for you to just, come on. People say, oh, Josh, I don't know. Can any of this be done? Have you forgotten how big God is? Have you forgotten how big He is? He created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. The whole universe. Did you know I heard the other day? It's been a while back they said the universe is expanding. Into what? What's it expanding into? Whatever God created. He did all this. You think there's anything He can't do? What an army in here. What an army in here. And let me, just, let me say this too. How much time I got? Oh, I got time. Hang with me. It doesn't, al it doesn't always have to be some big planned church program in order to bring it off, pull this thing off. It just involves you being led by the Spirit of God and moving. When God says, do this, do it. That whisper of the voice of the Lord, do this. Then go do it. Oh, man, I don't feel... And they'll do it, do this, do this. Go move, go talk to that person, go give that person money, go encourage that person, go pray for that person, invite this person over to your house. For... Whatever the Lord's telling you to do, because behind the scenes in the Spirit, God is orchestrating things that you have no idea about. The biggest thing that is keeping the church from being the church today is the sense of condemnation. It's a sense of shame that rests on the shoulders of so many Christians to where they don't feel worthy and able to stand up and be the kind of people that God wants them to be. And so therefore the church walks around in shame. Well, let me just tell you something. You were saved by grace. You were saved by grace. You really don't have anything to offer God. He knows that. He loves you anyway. He cares deeply for you. All He wants from you in spite of your past, in spite of your shame, is He saying, you know what, just, just, just bring me all your insecurities, bring me all your shame, bring me all these things that are keeping you from being who I want you to be. Lay them at the altar, get up from the altar, and step out in faith into what it is God wants you to do. That's how things will change. It is that simple. It is that simple. So, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, if you would. Ask the praise team to come.
How many of you feel God in this place right now? Raise your hands. Yeah. I told you the title of this message was Rise and Shine. Church, you are salt and light. We are to step out into this community, into the workplaces, into the workforce, in your families, amongst your friends. We are to engage the culture. I, I, I meant it when I said I, at, to this point, if you'll notice how I worded that, to this point we have lost. I'm just believing for a great victory though. Just, just one victory, just, just one move of God. He's just, he's just waiting on His church. He's waiting on His people to, to, to do these things. And He will turn the tide Himself. With every head bowed and every eye closed, 